did did I tell you that Edie has started? Uh, she took the old Michael Jackson song and now for the last three days has been singing repeatedly. I want to drock with you, like. <laughs> no, no, that's I amazing. I want to drock with you all night, like for hours, Graham. It's been stuck in my <laughs> goddamn amazing. head. Yeah, it's. Really... And you know what's really funny? I honestly can't remember the real lyrics of that. Borak Thung. Whatnots. Uh, welcome to Drock episode 37. Drock is, of course, as you all know, the monthly podcast for myself, Graham McMillan, and my esteemed co-host. Jeff Lester, hello. We take you through the storied, now over 45-year history of Judge Dredd, the galaxy's greatest lawman. I think everyone would agree, uh, by reading uh, volumes of Judge Dredd's complete case files. We're currently in volume 33. I'll tell you more about that. In a second, but before that, I'm going to tell you that we come from Richard Melville Hall Block, which is one of the dumber choices that I've made to name blocks in this entire series. People in the comments, please just let me know that you at least get the joke. I was about That's to say, I'm going to have to Google that, this later because I'm like... You, you are, you're gonna, you are. And uh, I apologize to everyone. We're doing volume 33, like I said, that's uh, 2000 E Prox 1223 to 1249, and magazine volume 3, issues 74 through 79. If you're working from the same PDF that we are, you'll find that the pages are in the wrong order for you as well. Oh, and, yeah. it's material, yeah, and it's material from um, the year 2001. We're firmly, firmly in the 21st century at this point, and based on the evidence of this volume, Judge Dredd at the beginning of the 21st century was. Fine. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I should say the majority of this is written by Joe Wagner again, but we have importantly contributions from Robbie Morrison, Gordon Rennie, and Alan Grant. Alan Grant, not so important. Gordon Rennie and Robbie Morrison, though, are pretty much coming in with this volume as like solid second tier backup writers, I think. Oh, I yes, I think Gordon Rennie doesn't nail it, um, although. It's not bad, but I actually no, thought Morrison's stuff was very strong, in fact. Right? But they, I think we are also at the point, finally in this run, where you get backup writers who are not fucking up really badly. Yes. For a better way of putting it. Yep. We all made it through the Garth Ennis years, everyone. We all made it through, for that matter, the Alan McKenzie and Mark Miller years. But with Morrison and Rennie, I think we have people who, I don't know if they've just read enough Wagner or that they're good enough faking Wagner that it doesn't feel like a massive sort of, you know, schism when yeah. we switch from Wagner to another one of the writers. Right. Would you, would you agree? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. In fact, um, uh, Gordon Rennie's work that I've, like I said, didn't like it as much in this volume as I did Morrison's work, but is absolutely acceptable level quality of um, when 
when when when Wagner is kind of idling, so to speak, like and his yeah. his stuff doesn't feel as tight as it normally does, you could mistake which, it which, for Gordon Rennie. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. a lot of this book. Let's be perfectly honest. Absolutely, yep. Jeff, we've talked about this in the last couple of episodes, and this is true, especially of this volume. It's fine. Yeah, you know, you talked about Wagner idling, and that makes up the vast majority of this book. That's correct. Right? There there are to my mind like two notable highlights here. Um and one medium highlight. Mm-hmm. And there's a story that I just like for all the wrong reasons. <laughs> um I'm looking forward to you other, breaking this down. Yeah. Okay. But otherwise, like it's all fine. You know, we've got Wagner doing a lot of one off comedy strips. Got like I said, some solid backups. Mm-hmm. But there's nothing that really feels essential in this volume. Right, not a lot that feels essential. Like I said, there, there are two stories. I'll, I'll name I'll name the stories, Jeff, and you can tell me if you're massively good to disagree with me on this or not. Okay. The essentials are the runner and chief judge's man. Oh wow! Interesting. Interesting. No? no. And the like the good enough but nowhere near essential is lock on which I really liked. And the one I like for all the wrong reasons is Bodies of Evidence. Wow. Okay. I can't wait to talk about this stuff. Wait, which okay. one's Bodies of Evidence? Is that... It's the um, Scottish people. Oh, of course. <laughs> of course it is. Like that would, I was reading that one. And I'm like, this is a gimme. Because it's amazing. Okay, so tell me your stories. Um, let's, let's, let's get the favorite stories part out of the way. The far, start for a change. The the favorite part of the stories for me is probably going to be uh, Relentless. Um, what's the other one called? Hellbent. And then... Oh, wow, you really are giving Robbie Morrison some, some credit. Seriously. So those, those were my faves. And then... Those um, are both Robbie Morrison. Yeah, I know. And then and then Lockon and, and Chief Judge's Man, I think, is... Um, kind of fatally undercut in a couple of ways, but... Um, I, I, I've got to admit, Chief Judge's Man is, for me, up there so much because I know it gets sequels. Because, mm-hmm. like, the first time I read Chief Judge's Man is in a collection called Chief Judge's Man. Ah, well, there which you go. Which is the whole story. Right. 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 And so I'm like, yeah, this is a great starter. Like, as a, as a like, four-parter as it is here, it's, it's lacking, shall we say. Like, well, this is definitely... These points where where I think that it like my my future knowledge it helps a bit too much. Not not necessarily because honestly, well, I mean, I, yeah, oh, yeah, kind uh, of. <laughs> okay, on the one hand, that would that would that certainly falls into things that I have accused you of before. But th- I think that Chief Judge's Man and the um, uh, we might as well just jump in and summarize it because we don't necessarily have to run through these things in, in order of the collection. But it is a multi-part story written by Wagner with art by Will Sampson about a, uh, a essentially an, an ex-soldier um, who comes back and is recruited by, it looks like, the chief judge, which is Judge Hershey, to be the... Her, her uh, secret executioner, essentially, to to bump off anyone that is in the process of criticizing the judges. And so 
you see dread be assigned to protect the people that the that the assassin is assigned to kill and you also see as these things unfold that um uh that the judge's man is in touch with a, a hologram or communication device that again appears to be uh judge hershey and what you see is a lot of i think very cleverly um well phrased uh dialogue on the part of in hershey's conversations with the judges what she's saying sounds like it can be taken uh two ways multiple um, ways yeah yeah exactly and and ev- everything about um it is really modulated also the fact that the the judge's man is indeed operating off inside information to bump people off so the way that it leads you down the path of paranoia which makes it seem as if uh hershey who we have seen in the previous volume essentially being the new a, a new day for the judges um looks like in the first several parts of the story is being a much darker new day um yeah, one yeah. It, it's far basically more as calculated as, as what came before exactly now for me the two big drawbacks are i don't think that will sampson's art is cut out for this in any way in particular i i i think he fails on the action scenes i think he fails on the personality scenes like at parts and chunks of it are competent but um you know it's but that's kind of the best you can say about it exactly and there's a few no, points no, I, where I, I, I think that's actually 100 percent correct yeah i, I would think you're right by saying that yeah so i think there's that there's there's actually one action sequence that i think gets fumbled where i'm still trying to figure out what's going on also for whatever reason wagner thinks that it's really a good idea to have a secondary character uh, a high-ranked judge named de clerk uh very early on in a way that might have just been called verbaden guy um, and I feel that really undercuts a lot of the tension and the ending, essentially. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. those are my complaints. Otherwise, no, I no, I, and, and he okay. does, he mm-hmm. does uh, telegraph the, the ending. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. that said, like I, I really like the, I do like the paranoia, mm-hmm. as you, you know, as as you put it, and the idea that for a while you. You put like half the story together, you can tell that like you know De Clerk is quite clearly not to be trusted, right? And he is behind something, mm-hmm. but there is at least for me, or or you know the first time I read this, and I think it stands up and reread, a plausible potential that Hershey is legitimately at least attached to this in some way. Also, I like, I can't remember his name for the life of me, I like the Chief Judge's man, not in, like, you know, I think he's fun, but I like the idea of, for want of a better way of putting it, like, a villain who legitimately thinks they're a hero. Yes. No. Like, he actually thinks he's doing something good. It's not that he's delusional, yes. or he's he's being deluded, but, like, he has reason to believe that he is doing the right thing. No, I, I mean... Uh... Again, this is something that's, that's actually thing. really great. He is a, uh, a an absolutely great adversary for Dread, 
Um, because he is a, in his own way, he is once again sort of a, a very mirror image to to dread, you know, the the sort of perfect lawman. Like, it is not impossible to see him. He has very little characteristics apart from essentially his firm commitment and belief that what he's doing is right. And it it works all of that stuff works really well. I if I if it had, had a if it had a better artist and a little less of a um like a telegraph of the ending, I would have very, very much been into it. But I I think you're right in talking on Will Simpson. Mm-hmm. I think that he's not the right artist for this. I don't think he's a great artist. Mm-hmm. There's something about his work, though, that feels protected from critical... Uh, yeah. or, or from criticism, I should say. Mm-hmm. For me, uh, in large part because he was drawing so much of 2018 when I started reading 2018 seriously. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like, well, no, because I read, like, I read it when I was a kid kid. Right. No, 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 no. And then I, I fucked I, up. I, yeah. And then I came. Then I came back in like Pro Five Hundred and something. Right. And like Will Simpson is doing a chunk around then. And part of me is always like, well, he he's kind of shit. And honestly, here where he's not even painting, he's doing uh, pencils and inks, mm-hmm. and someone else is coloring. He reminds me more than anything of um, Agricardi's like new X Men work. But there's other like, yeah, but it's it's okay because it's Will Simpson. <laughs> Yeah, I mean the fact like he he perpetually sort of squashes people's faces, mm-hmm. and there are definitely moments in the in Chief Judge's Man where like his take on anatomy and perspective, yeah, are deeply flawed, to right? The least, but I'm still like, I yeah, I know, but still every now and again he'll give me like that that profile shot of Dredd's chin, and I'll be like, oh, it's Will Simpson, yeah. Just no, like it's this right. weird thing where I know you're right, and I'm still like, mm, but you can't you can't really criticize him that much, even though again, objectively, yeah, you can. It's there, there's, there's real problems with his work here. Yeah, 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 absolutely. And and how do I put it? There are times where I think Simpson is can be can can be the right person for the right job. You know what I mean? Like, and I yeah, think yeah, yeah. that I think that some of these sequences, like the um. The storytelling is relatively dynamic. Like, apart from one action sequence, there's one action sequence that I think he kind of fucks up that that has whatever it is, like somebody like popping off a hover thingy and then hitting some other hover thingy. But but most of the stuff, like the actual um, one-to-one fight uh, between the judges man and Dread happening on a rooftop is really well handled and and the dynamics of them chasing one another down like his he he is very he's a he's a pretty solid action artist in the sense mm-hmm. of i'm not sure that he necessarily uh, it, it, in in that things are suitably dynamic there's other things that i i would want in some ways but again i think part of the problem with this story to me is is that you can't. You, I just would like more of it. Now, by contrast, just in order to sort of, um, uh, you, you know, underline and undermine uh, my my own picks in a way. One of the things that I I like about Relentless is I think that Robbie Morrison tells a very good dread, cursed Earth story. His dread is 
a little a little close to Morrison Miller just endless posturing I always win type stuff but not terrible but not the best it's not the best story in the world but Colin Wilson who you know is so leaning into European comics and the yes, relentless yeah. art the fact that Wilson goes either at this point already has or will go on to draw young blueberry um makes him such the perfect pick for doing what is a really large scale post apocalyptic western um that just looks phenomenal i think to me it also helps that i think that janet gale just nails it again a lot of that is just the euro influence like you know some of the onomatopoeia is really uh very euro whether that's like the classic thwack with with no k on the end just t-h-a-w-c but there there's points where wilson is doing like almost really to me i got a strong simonson vibe off of it and oh no i i i think the art is by far the strongest part of that story oh god yeah yeah so straight with the exception of reading digitally all those double page spreads are annoying as shit yes and that the number of times where i was like oh and honestly that was like i think maybe the second or third gotcha i just i just turned my tablet on the side and read it yeah because so much of relentless is double page spread yeah exactly and so so i think that that is that's kind of a classic like story that we've seen that is um you know, that we've seen before. Honestly, it literally is nothing new really at any particular part in piece, but all the chunks of it are very firmly in the, um, kind of in that sense, the, 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 what Wagner has, has done so well for the last couple of years, which is kind of that, you know, reinventing the wheel over and over and over again in a way that it's a little bit different, but it's also kind of what you expect, but also is just, you know, and again, this is where the artists come in, you know, either a little surprisingly extra satisfying or a little surprisingly extra disappointing. Um, Yeah. I should mention, for example, uh, I've mentioned before some of my favorite stories and story tropes in dread one of my favorite stories every time it comes up and it feels like it hits dread every it seems like six or seven years is the somebody in a huge enormous um self-driving vehicle dies and the vehicle (laughs) proceeds to drive the roads forever and dread's got to take it out i love that story Every time. And if Colin Wilson had been drawing the Moby instead of Richard Elson, like, I would have been like, this is my favorite story. There's And there's oh, yeah, no yeah, reason yeah, to no, talk no, about it. it, it. You know when I, mean? I was reading it, I was like, oh, this is a Jack story. It is so my shit. I love that. In fact, just the fact that, that at the end of it, the Moby may well have gotten away. I'm, I'm so into it. But at the same time, I was looking at it being like, ah. So, and by contrast, Relentless, which is a Morrison story, again with Colin Wilson art, which 
almost I was like, oh, this is going to be great. They're going to have my other favorite dread trope, which is an auto accident on the highway that spends, sends a super large super tanker flying off a thing and, and killing thousands of people. That didn't happen, but I have to say I totally was enough of a sucker that I was grateful that Morrison threw in a last panel twist that and that, of course, by this point, I had so given up on the idea that you even need that for so many Dread stories that it that really landed on me. But yeah, I mean, honestly, once you take out the artists, um, and which perhaps brings me to splitting the difference, is I love the idea of the runner and I love the art of the runner. That is, it's one of my very favorite um, kind of, uh, one of my other favorite tropes is a little bit of the the day in the life of of some mm-hmm. citizen in 2000 AD where it's not the I'm doing like I fucked up and I've drawn Dred's ire and now like my life is fucked but the people who are actually trying to accomplish something and you realize just what an utter nightmare they're in yeah. I love that up until the point of the last page if not before where Oh I'm... man yeah. yeah so the runner the runner is a relatively famous one-off for Judge Dredd. Um, Interesting. And like, well, like you said, it is a day in the life of a Mega City One citizen, right? Right. Mega City One citizen in this case is a runner. Is someone who who gets through escape by running. And it being Mega City One, they run through lots of things going wrong, and they, they draw the attention of the judges. Right. Uh, it's drawn by Duncan Vergado, we should say. I you've mentioned the art. I think it looks great. I think yeah. the coloring is not great, but I've talked before about Chris Blythe's coloring just being too garish for my liking. But mm-hmm. I think Fogredo's line work is really great in the strip. Yes. I think it's it, it's really, really a joy. Um, the quote-unquote punchline of the runner is that basically he doesn't stop and the judges tell him to because he's going to beat his personal best. He beats his personal best and is killed by the judges. Yeah. The reason why it is quasi-famous mm-hmm. is because the runner is black and the end of the strip is someone saying, he's not a criminal, he loved running, he always loved running, that's all, is it a crime to run now? And Dredd says it's reasonable grounds for suspicion. Yeah. And that being like, you know, one of those times where Dredd is prescient in ways that I don't think Wagner intended it to be. Mm-hmm. Um and I think, honestly, the fact that the issues of grand suspicion is then followed up by a creep hat didn't have a leg to stand on punchline, waka waka waka, right. shows that Wagner did not write this to make a point about um, judicial overreach any more than like other dread stories that are essentially comedies are written mm-hmm. as judicial overreach. Right? Wagner was not writing this to make a political statement. Yeah. The political meaning, the real world meaning has, has grown up around this strip. Again, this was published in 2001. Right. Right? Um, but it has, in the years since, been a C. We yeah. are turning into Judge Dredd uh, thing where, like I said, the very last panel really sort of, for me, underscores that that wasn't what Wagner was trying to do. Well, and so, right. And so I think, I think there's a lot that is... Um that is vexing about the runner in that regard. 
because you know who knows maybe it was Duncan Figueroa's I you know decision to make the runner black and, and which again changes the the whole scope of the story. Um, I think what is hard for me is that idea of yeah you know what I mean like it it it, it just it it's one of those things where unintentionally or not it it kind of rips off the scab of kind of suspension of disbelief but but honestly more than that it's just a it is a, in a way it's a very hard story to read for that last page like you said the oh it's prescient and it's like the sad fact is it's not like it's not it's not like policemen didn't start killing black people for no reason after 2001 you know what i mean it's the no it's, I, I, yeah which which again is not it, you know i i'm not trying to just be a pissy lib although i'm aware that i'm aware of it it's it's just more that there is it's kind of you know sort of the way that there is a certain like you can divide the world into two groups people who find the whole oh but batman's a rich person and him punching poor people you know the the, the group that thinks that that's an amazingly clever point and other people who think that it's absolutely tedious and brain breaking at this point and i think that probably the hardest thing for me is is like in judge dread if you want me to be able to keep reading the stories one thing that you can't have it do is have a black man be shot in the back and then a waka waka punchline at the end and and have it and just kind of how do i put it it's very much in the way that the you saw so many journalists like just really to use your phrase from earlier telling on themselves by talking about the Ukraine situation as being horrifying because it was happening to people just like us. You know what I mean? Like there's something where it's like for for dread probably more than for your average ongoing violent ego fantasy with a bunch of extra stuff that you can think about or consider um i feel dread is incredibly vulnerable once you walk someone a person of color onto that stage um especially especially once that person is a pedestrian it's just a regular civilian you know what i mean it's not yeah. i don't think that it's a surprise that the majority of people of color that we see in dread to this point have been judges it's it's a great way to have you know the the diversity in there that you would expect and also you know honestly it almost feels like the the judge dread drock challenge is if you take just about any other comical um dread story and swap out the 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 person who's being a dingus in it uh swap their color out so that they are black it suddenly becomes um a lot more sobering you know what i mean 
Like, I just don't think that, that scene, uh, sadly. And I, and so, so it's, so a, it's a hard story for me, but it is that thing of like, Oh, it's all great up until the last page. And then the last page, you're, you're kind of like, it's such a good story. I mean, yeah, sure. You're getting punched in the balls on the last page. I think up until the last panel, mm-hmm. sorry, the last two panels, mm-hmm. like basically up until the waka 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 joke. I, yeah. I think, I think it's, I think it's a really, really well done Fun is not the right word, but like it's an enjoyable dread story. I think it's an enjoyable dread story up until he gets shot, and then it's like even the sh- even the shooting mm-hmm. is like for me, which sounds like an odd thing to say, but but go with me here. It's 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 the it's the hasn't got a leg to stand on punchline mm-hmm. that that just lands so oddly for me. Yeah. See, where is my yeah. I think that I think he needs to be shot for one of a better way of putting. It. I don't think the story works if if he doesn't get shot. Uh, I mean, I st- so I mean, I think there's a couple of other ways to go with it. But I think if nothing else, my my two particular things, pr- particular problems, are a if this person is an experienced runner and you see that they are so obsessed with their time and that they ignore everything else, it finds. A, I find it sort of hard to believe that they have been doing this long enough, but have never, ever once thought about what happens if a judge notices them. And I know that part of the idea is, in theory, that they're supposed to be so obsessed with their perfect time that they don't care. But the flip side of that for me, in particular, is, I mean, this is, The the Runner is an amazing story to read on the same week that... Ryan Coogler, the director of Black Panther. <laughs> that, that was amazing. That story's amazing. Right? Goes to his bank, writes a note saying that he wants to withdraw money from his account and gets arrested for su- supposedly bank robbery of money from his own account. Like, so the runner, and, and the important thing that I think is really also important with all that body cam footage is. Black men in America, in a police state, know how to act around police if they want to have a chance of surviving. There may be a point where they do not care, where they get so overwhelmed with their anger and frustration. But generally, I would say, and this was the other thing that undermined me, is like, if there is a black person running in Mega City 1... They have a whole set of rules about what you do if you encounter a judge. And it's not like, oh, keep running because my time's great. So, and again, that's just my thing. If it had been a a white guy running in a crazy ass suit um, trying to beat his best time, part of me still feels that Wagner should have thrown in an additional, just, just, I swear it would be no more than a caption for it to get there for me. But in because well, so what does that caption say? Well, that caption basically says um, kind of an extension of um, essentially at some point he he's it's kind of he realizes that he is. That the only thing that matters to him is beating his time. 
You know what I mean? Like, or, or even that someone with only someone with this much focus would put themselves through this repeatedly. Part of the reason and, why and Wacker the, and the say captions that. don't give you that as it as is. I, uh, I feel it just falls short. Because I, I, I would argue that they really do. Like well, he I even know. he yeah. even has a point where Dread calls out a warning to him, and he says he hears the judge but barely associates the words with himself. His mind is focused on one thing only. Right. I'm right. Like I, I honestly think that I think the story as is again up until the punchline right. works. No, I understand. The judges, the way the story is constructed, are quote unquote not wrong, but the fact that they are wrong, <laughs> like they're not wrong according to their rules, right? Because Dredd calls out a warning to him, he doesn't stop. Dredd thinks he's fleeing the scene of a crime, mm-hmm. and it's another judge who shoots him, and Dredd immediately starts making excuses for him. Mm-hmm. Like I think that's great. It's the last line of dialogue mm-hmm. which adds in the punchline that lands awkwardly for me because i think everything to that point is a not just a serviceable a good story about how the people who try and escape mega city one's oppression mm-hmm. are going to end up being crushed i mean because that system working sure sure and I'm right. And I, I, right. No, and, and, and I think all of that works. I think all that works. And I think the Wagner does enough to establish that Dwayne genuinely is not paying attention to what's going on around him. He's only paying, te- paying attention to his run. That's all he's doing. He's paying attention to his time. That's it. But he also manages to get into, in Dredd's point of view, this is a criminal who's running, right? And is not responding to him. But then, additionally, to get in. <laughs> The dread makes excuses for this guy being killed, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. tells the judge, "Like, mm-hmm. don't blame yourself." Yeah, right. All of that, I think, is really, really great to get in in like five pages. I sure. think it's a, I think it's an impressively full story that is also horrific, and then that's that last fucking line. Yeah, that just makes me go shit. Well, and I mean, and in that sense, I would say, I would, I would say that you could say that the runner, that the flip side would be that the runner, the last line turns it into, uh, does turn it into not just, not just prescient, but a really depressing, um, summary. Like, honestly, that's, that is the thing that sucks. Like, you know, a black person's running police say that he must be a criminal they shoot him he dies they make a joke about it and that's it and that is a hugely hugely depressingly accurate and like you said sure but it, it i don't it's not that i don't buy the dread who likes to make like shit jokes would make a shit joke Mm-hmm. It's that it feels wrong for this strip. Does that make sense? No, 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 no. I agree, but my problem is is technically it becomes right for the strip. My problem is that that it's it's all but accidentally portraying what's the underpinnings of the law all too accurately and it's just not it's it's just not like you and I are sort of on the same page, which is kind of like, 
I, in part because it's accidental. I think if Wagner had really wanted to write a story that pins, that points out essentially how little the lives of black men matter to the police, he would have gone about it in a different way. This is kind of an accidental oopsie where the accidental oopsie really points out the underpinnings of essentially everything that's uncomfortable about reading a strip that about a police officer kind of should genuinely be that we don't acknowledge. And again, Wagner is coloring within the judge dread lines. He really is, you know, it's supposed to be something that where you're supposed to be like, Oh yeah, no, you know? And I think I get why you have the, the reaction to it that you have. And I don't, I don't want you to think that I'm critiquing you for it. I just mean for myself, it left a variety of bad tastes in my mouth that really, in a way, should not necessarily be something that I should be complaining about because some of those things are things that I should, in theory, um, I I should be thinking about perhaps more often in the case of Dread. But sort of plunked down as it is in one of those things, it's kind of um, it it's it sort of becomes an accidentally crucial storyline and story. And admittedly, that's sort of how classics are made. It's not just a matter of. I mean, it's, it's letter letter for a Democrat, right? Right. Which, you was, know. A, which was a filler, which was a, a last minute, oh shit, the idea we were having didn't come together, we'll write this. And it ended up to, you know, becoming central to, to Dread for the next, like, four years. Right, right. So the fact that the exactly. runner... The thing, the thing is, like, the runner doesn't. Like, right, exactly. The runner ends up being this, like, standalone thing. Right. And where, so... Where, you yeah. know, Wagner is saying something without actually saying something, or mm -hmm. he's maybe not saying what he thinks he's saying. Yeah, right. I think he he's sort of he's making kind of a little point or gesture or a little thing about the callousness of the police, you know, in sort of a generally fascistic way, with a little bit of the same sort of, you know, Judge Dread vinegar dressing. But it ends up being more than that. And yeah, you're right. The fact that the runner is a one-off and the chief judge's man ends up being the story that is going to be picking up and continuing through after this. I think, again, really points out the kind of accidental, you know, alchemy there. And, and like I said, I just think that that is, that's part of my reasons why in many ways I just kind of had kind of a stronger ooh yuck kind of concept in in a way that um, I can understand why you don't, but but of course me being me had to spend hours justifying why why I did. So great art though by Duncan Fergrito and whoever it was who decided to make the runner uh, a black man. Um, we've, we've wrestled with the implications of the writing. I want to talk about two particular things about the art in there because Fergrito does a great job. One is there is a scene where you see Dredd looking at the runner and you see the runner reflect in Dredd's visor, which is fucking amazing. Mm. And I wish more people did tricks with Dredd's visor that way. And two is um, the runner gets attacked, Dwayne gets attacked by a dog on the first page, and it's Toby from Halo Jones. Oh, yeah. Right. 
That's so yeah, funny. He gets it's, a, it's a great shout out. Uh, it's 2018 history, which I really, really enjoyed. Yeah, it, it, visually, I think it's great. Again, the coloring's shit, but Chris Blythe's Chris Blythe and I are not going to agree on colors at this point in, in 2018 right. history. That Garish seems... was in. <laughs> uh, I I wanted to. No, no, to... no. I I, I, yeah. I don't mean to be like overly glib. I just I think that's I genuinely think that's what they were going for, and it works for them if that's what they're going for. Right. So, so, so well, let's see. Let's see. My other favorites, um, bodies of evidence. As I said, that's kind of my favorite for the wrong reasons, which is I just love when Wagner writes Scottish characters in Judge Dredd. Yes. And any any example of Cam Kennedy art is a beautiful thing to see. Like as a whole, I'm not sure it's worth three chapters. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure the plot, which is essentially. Uh, Scotland becomes a tourist destination for Mega City One, especially you know hunting the most dangerous games. Let's let's pay poor people to be hunted, except we're actually kidnapping them and implanting our brains in them. Plot is you know s- somewhat overly complicated. Uh, yeah, uh, having characters called things like Hamish McPhee Five O Fum shows the lecture is. I guess amusing himself if nothing else. But it's it's you know, it's kind of an uneven mess. It's just that it's the sort of uneven mess I genuinely dig. It's really uneven, isn't it? Because it's amazing how much it starts off as broad farce is supposed to have moments of genuine uh kind of poignance and tragedy in it, and also still continue to be kind of a broad farce and broad farce. Yeah. Yeah. And, and what yeah. Oh yeah, the, the the name of so it has a it, besides Hamish McPhee Five Hundred Thumb, mm-hmm. it has a classic Wagner television name. Yes, the host is called Ivana Freebie. <laughs> Ivana Freebie is genius. I have to say, I really thought that that was super well handled. Uh, I mean, genuinely amazing. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. No, and I just just really great. Um, yeah, I enjoyed, I enjoyed that story for the art. I mean, there's, there's all sorts of little bits and pieces that I like. Steve Parkhouse pops up on the big light. Maybe not the best Parkhouse work I've ever seen. We've got the very strange situation where Robbie Morrison and John Wagner more or less write the same story with the same name lead character, um, with totally different approaches. And those stories apparently ran like in consecutive issues. I'm talking about the something over my shoulder is drooling a script by Robbie Morrison art by Simon Fraser in which a uh, child with psychic powers named Kelvin has a, an imaginary tiger named Hobbit that of course is genuinely ripping and killing people apart. Followed by the bad juve by John Wagner with some gorgeous art by Duncan Fregrito about a psychic kid named Kelvin who um, is just a shit, essentially. And kind of interesting that those two are side by side. I was like, was this supposed to be like, Were the, did they both pull like the same plot thing out of a hat? Um, I have to say, as much as I both understand the desire to work in uh pop culture pastiches of course i feel like a lot of times they don't they they tend not to age well but i do think is the this, bad is this you're saying something over my shoulder drooling is terrible 
I, it's not honestly. It's not terrible. Like I've seen other worse things. Like and even oh, more no. recently, you know. Yeah, we yeah. we have we have seen some terrible, terrible dread. But it's it's uh, Robbie Morrison does have a very good volume, and you wouldn't believe it from reading that story. Yeah, 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 yeah. But I mean, it's it's it really is not terrible. What's fascinating to me is the bad Juve again has has it the fact that they the editors didn't even change the name so it's like a kid well, named kelvin funny, like, with psychic I, powers i didn't even realize he was kelvin until yeah. you were pointed out because everyone calls him spook yes exactly right they call him spook the it's whole only time. a teacher that calls him kelvin right yeah right so it's kind of like wait wait what? why didn't you guys why did you couldn't have changed that because as you point out they call him spook and again that's one where part of me is like duncan figurino's art is just fabulous the fact that not only that spook is um his name's spook but the fact that he somehow simultaneously manages to look like an evil 11 year old and richard milhouse nixon at the same time is you know who he looks like and i don't think this is intentional but he looks very much like the brain from pinky and the brain Oh yeah, he does. There I mean, is, there's a, one yeah. panel in particular where he is literally the brain with hair. You know, I think you're right. I think you're right. That that may well be it. Um and so therefore is just is just great. Um but yeah, no, that that just um so I mean, you know, I I I feel like so do we want to talk about Lockon cuz I think you said that that was another one yeah, that I you think thought well, was. Yeah, I think both of us really like Lockon. Yeah. Uh Despite the fact that Lockon, again, in the PDF we read, Lockon Part 3 appears like 100 pages too early. Yeah, exactly. All of a sudden, you're like, it's not... Gosh, it's where was I going to say? like other stories. I think yeah, two single one-shots. Son, the son of, of Katie did or something. But yeah. all of a sudden, you get Lockon Part 3, and I was like, yeah. what's happened? And then I got the rest of Lockon, and I was like, oh, wait, that makes sense. Yeah, right. So I, I did have that where I just, I was like, okay, skip, 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 skip. In fact, did I get to this or did I get? But Lockon is uh, pretty fabulous uh, in the sense that it is, it's it's basically Judge Dredd and Wagner doing a riff on The Thing, um, but set in on a space station uh, where there's, convention of law enforcement officers from all over the galaxy uh but it's basically just the thing and it does it really well you know you you were uh, complaining about richard elson's art earlier yeah. and lock on does not look good it does not but it but yeah. it completely works just because the writing is so good yeah like it's it is not going to change anyone's life <laughs> it is not going to, you know, change anyone's mind about trade even. Right. But as a locked room mystery mm-hmm. where the answer is they're shape changing aliens who are trying to take over Earth. Like mm-hmm. I fucking loved it. <laughs> yeah, it's really good. We see a major character uh die though, right? Don't we? That's she does not they don't rescue Castillo her. Doesn't come back, right? Yeah, yeah I think she, she's, she's like gone. genuinely gone. Which is kind of interesting that she. I mean, that, you said major character. Shot. We haven't seen Castillo for a while. 
What, what the weird like, part is she just it was around for like two years and then disappeared. Disappeared, but then she pops back up again in this volume in the story about the dude who invents the cure for the common cold, and of course they've got to put the kibosh on that. Castillo is the one who quite specifically says, like, yeah, we just uninvented, you know. And it's like, oh, this is what they're doing with Castillo, huh? At the at the time, I was kind of like, oh, Castillo's still around. Boy, they really don't have anything to do with her. And that that's, it's a shame because I've only seen Castillo in Wagner stories, and Wagner has so clearly kind of forgotten who Castillo was if or is just doesn't care anymore but considering that Castillo set started out in a very specific place as a very specific type of judge who sort of you know thinks more or less the dread helps her get her mojo back and then she yeah goes yeah. on to be kind of a replaceable character with no personality who pops up who's kind of like oh hey it's Castillo you know you keep hoping that yeah, she's I remember have her Right. And she'll maybe she'll have some growth. Maybe she'll get something to do. It's kind of ironic that she's in a story with, uh, you know, Judge Hotpants, uh, former Judge Hotpants, I should say. I think Lock-On is a lot of fun because it is, it, weirdly enough, is Wagner doing the Morrison trick when Morrison was writing Dredd, mm-hmm. where he just, like, stick Judge Dredd in, like, uh, an action movie. Right. You know, yep. or he'd stick Judge Dredd in like a, a horror movie when, when mm-hmm. he did Crusade and there's, you know, there's the monsters and everything. Yeah. And he, like, like you said, this is literally Wagner going, yeah, it's the thing, but it's Judge Dredd. But it, it genuinely works. It's a very enjoyable story. Yep. Yeah. Very much so. Very much so. Um, and there's, and there's fun little parts that measure up with the thing. The fact that uh, Judge, that little shit, uh, actually ends up being you know, the only one who, who doesn't fall for the, hey, mister, please help me. There's like a problem happening. You know, he's just basically like, why the fuck should I care? Get Go away. Get off. Um, you know, and more or less helps decipher the whole thing. Basically, by by dint of being such an enormous turd, is very... It, 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 it is genuinely funny that, like, yeah. because he's such a dick, yeah, that he survives. Because yeah. he's a paranoid dick, he's perfectly placed for the story where paranoia is going to keep you alive. Yep. Like, yeah. it's, it's, it's a, you know, it's funny, and also it makes sense, mm-hmm. right? Very much so. Very much so. Um, so, yeah. You know, and on the one hand, I feel like there's somewhere a complaint about, you know, the idea of the shape-changing aliens who even their blood is alive and they can recombine is a bit too science fiction-y for Red. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, that's not really true because, you know, you think back to some of the things we saw in Cursed Earth way, way back at the start of the story. That's right, yeah. You know, we've always had very outlandish things. It's yeah. just that we haven't really seen them that much recently. Right, right. And and one of the things that I like about that is, again, it's sort of a bummer that Richard Elson's drawing it. But, you know, if you're going to do something like the thing carpenters the thing is very heavy it's paranoia but it there's also a very strong element of body horror on that and i think the idea of coming up with characters where essentially the blood itself is alive and seeing the ways that like people get cut and it more or less like 
flies around or floats or attacks people or there's points where people are getting their heads cut off and then they're reattaching them like it's all it's it's all good fun it's all it's all everything that it's supposed to do and like a good movie someone that you actually genuinely care about dies so yeah if it wasn't for the fact that chapter three (laughs) pops up about 50 pages before chapter one um you know and i'm not crazy about the art but it is again in that way that we're kind of like yeah what can you really say about this volume if you're not going to get into you know let jeff have his pedantic arguments um i think there's a lot to be said for there's just good solid material in this book i don't think there's a real stinker in here oh there is oh what is it is it alan grant's story (laughs) Actually, the Alan Grant story is bad, really bad. But um... I honestly, I think the Alan Grant story is fine. It's kind of shticky, but it's fine. I'll tell you the, my only problem with it, and admittedly, this could be me, is at the end of it, um, the whole idea is it's a it's kind of happening in a condemned uh, or semi-condemned, barely held together. Uh, mega block that then falls apart because something happens involving a fat man but I have read it three times and I still can't figure out what I think that for me what's worse is kicking the habit with uh, art by Siku and that's the worst because it has art by Siku but there is literally (laughs) a section in it where again, there's art where something happens and I literally can't figure out what happens. Like I think it might actually get thrown into a description after the fact um, where where for whatever, you know, the, the suddenly it seems like the guy is about to light up his cigarette and he's out on those planes and then it looks like the planet Earth makes a cameo and attacks him. Like, I literally have no idea what Suki's I mean, doing in there. You know, the real reason to think Kick and Habit's terrible is that Kick and Habit's terrible. It's it, yet right. another smoking, right? It's a lot. Can you believe they're so barbaric? But also, Wagner has the sheer fucking balls to, to you caught the name of the judge in the last panel, right? That's right. It's not as, it's even worse than de Klerk. It's, yeah. Yeah, it's, there's, it's Hitler. Judge Hitler is doing <laughs> the rounds. Hitler, everyone. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, and and that is, that's precisely it. But yeah, that whole section where he's like, you react automatically and perhaps unwisely. He's off again, digging a hole for himself, open of higher, and then it's fatum, 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 and the guy says, holy, and then there's an explosion and more sound effects. And you, I literally have no idea what's going on. Also, the Siku, um, you know, Let's draw Mega City one, but not challenge. Where like from page one, he's like, eh, walls seem like a little too much work, and you literally have action scenes of people of ships flying over mustard blobs. Like it is the absolute worst. You're like, I can't under, um, I can't overstate. How bad Siku is as an artist. And honestly, Jeff, you can't overstate how bad Siku is it, as an artist. It's really impossible. He really does screw the pooch in about six different ways here. Um, 
you know, but honestly, whoever's drawing Alan Grant's story uh, also screws up that's, that's an action Patrick sequence. That's Patrick Goddard and Dylan Teague. Yeah, and there's a there's a point there where it's like somebody jumps off a ledge on a hover bike and then crushes someone else, and then again, there's the whole reason why the building collapses and is supposed to be the punchline, and I'm just like, I don't. I I literally don't understand. Like I really had those points where I'm like, huh, you know, I I've been reading comics for a long time. So, but the fact that there's two of these stories in here, maybe three, because there was an action sequence in uh, Judge Law's Man where I was like, wait, what happened there? Um, just kind of, kind of, kind of some messy messy work. But Siku in particular, I'm like, okay, why are you people still giving him work? You're like, okay. This this is this is unacceptable. It really is. It really is. So anyway, th- so that one aside, I really don't think that there are any stinkers. No, Even the, the Alan Grant yeah. one is like yeah. the Alan Grant one. If nothing else, I have to commend him for his adherence to when he thought it was a good idea to stick as many feet puns as possible in there, because mm-hmm. he really tries. God bless him. Yeah. Um. But no, the problem with this volume, again, is that it is just fine. Mm-hmm. That that familiarity is beginning to break content. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Dread has been going on for, you know, 20, what is this, 2001? So 24 years mm-hmm. at this point. And I, it's this is a perfectly enjoyable volume to read. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, when you get to a Star Trek parody by John Wagner... Ooh, yeah, right. That's another one, know, frankly, that's very... Like, yeah. You know, there really is a sense that, that Wagner's phoning it in. Mm-hmm. Alien Wedding, for that matter, you know, there's a sense that, that Wagner's phoning it in. And it, because he's such a good writer, it's enjoyable. Yeah. It does the job. It lasts for six pages. And so, you know, even a shitty joke can't really outstay its welcome that long. Well, I mean, I would even but, say that, that one of the things about Alien Wedding is is that it's got it's got a great opening page. You know what I mean? Like the the whole in terms of um as you know, I'm a I'm a sucker for those stories where it's got that classic silver age um, vibe to it, you know, deep, particularly like a DC Silver Age cover, you know, but mm-hmm. it's like, this seems like a, a cover from My Strangest Adventure, where it's like, aliens are getting married, and you know, and it's like, what's happening at the alien wedding? And the thing that's hilarious is there's all these aliens, and the, and the person's like, if anyone you know, knows a good reason why these two should not be joined in unholy matrimony. Let them speak now or forever hold their peace. And Dredd's like, I do. And I'm like, that's, that's, to me, that's genuinely funny. That's as funny as the same thing. Right. Yeah, exactly. Of course, you read the rest of it, and you're like, maybe I'm not. Maybe I'm not. Exactly. But I'm like, eh, it's Cam Kennedy art. Let's be honest. Yeah. But it doesn't live up to that first page. No, absolutely not. No, it doesn't. Uh, sadly no it just goes somewhere else but i'm like uh, you know but but yeah no the the idea i i think and i could be wrong we'll see i think you have a better sense of this is for the most part i feel that 
Wagner, who has been kind of the controlling creator for the majority of the volumes that we've read, more or less, like, plays a lot with Judge Dredd, kind of the one-off strip that is sort of, that is that is its own genre now, which is the Dread strip that is, you know, mm-hmm. uh, again, sort of a strange mutation of a Will, Will Eisner spirit. And then sort of the larger dread mythos stories. And and this one just kind of feels like it's been a little too long since things started meaning something, you know, which is why yeah, I do which think is that... which is again Chief Judge's man, I think, hits yes. as hard as it does, because it feels exactly. like he's going somewhere again. Yes. But uh, but of course it's it's ju- it's just a it's just not quite enough you know what i mean and so there's there's part of me where it's like yeah if all this stuff had been sprinkled in with a larger story that quote unquote means something or is going somewhere or or moves the mythos forward where there is because the great thing about uh that is great about the chief judge's man is right from the get-go it's got these incredibly high stakes of like is Hershey corrupt? And because we're seeing those sequences and Dread doesn't, it's it really does up that factor of like, we know more than the characters do, but we don't know the whole story. And so that's just really very propulsive. But because we also, in theory, at some level, very much care about Hershey and care about her as the chief judge in, and I should say this is kind of important and weird as abstractions, you know what I mean? Like Hershey is not what we would call, despite having been in the strip forever, what you would call a well fleshed out character. Like, and, and that's, that isn't, that is in no way a, a diss, but I think that it's, it's interesting that, Wagner is more or less aware, I think, that to the extent that he picks up stories that that move the mythos forward or that have quote-unquote meaning, it is very much about the inherent tension of what we, the readers, are supposed to, I guess, feel about the law. And which I think is part of the reason why the runner just sort of goes dramatically off the rails in a way that's interesting, but also just kind of, to me, like I said, kind of a cataclysmic mistake. Um, you know, when you, if you think about it, the, the, like Wagner has over the course of this many volumes, this many decades of work with Judge Dredd created a strip that runs where you have, to the extent that you have reoccurring characters, they have almost no psychological weight in the way that we necessarily associate that with in other reoccurring serialized, particularly North American superhero comics. And on the one hand, that makes it in much more invulnerable and like you said you 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 talked at the beginning about how this volume is critic proof one of the things that i think is interesting and 
eerie is that maybe part of that is Wagner himself has created a strip that will never, unless he can think of a good way, uh, unless he can think of something fun that he wants to do with it, um, is really never going to have to hit that moment of, oh shit, we fucked everything up so badly, we've got to re- hit the reset button. You know what I mean? Like, he because, in a way, because he does have that. Hershey could be evil, like when you see her in that thing. There's that moment of like, we don't really know her. And the extent to which it is, uh, you're invested in it, is it at this very, like I said, almost rarefied air. Much sort of the same way that 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 dread himself is um is is something that you and i can i think quite ten, tangibly put our finger on of oh that's dread or oh that's not dread or yeah this is in character that's out of character this seems in character to you but out of character for me but it's like it's a it's a very thin line like it's very um i guess what i'm trying to say is is that somehow wagner has cartooned in a concept in our brains like there's all the cartooning that's happening on the page where it's like oh this looks right that looks right you know, dreads off model, but it's fine because it's Cam Kennedy, you know, has a certain way with with Wagner where he's like, oh, I'm telling this dread story and I can, this is still recognizable as dread because it's got the specific contours that you associate with this character, like in your mind. You know what I mean? Does that make sense or is that just Yeah, 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 yeah. It has the right signifiers. Right, right. It, it, it might not ring entirely true, but it has enough. Yeah, exactly. And so there's something to me that is remarkable about the way that Wagner can, and and I think it takes a lot of attention and thought and craft for him, which is maybe the reason why he doesn't always do it, where he picks up the reins and starts telling a story. And that story is usually a story about dread and the judges and Mega City One in in kind of potentially very big ways, and it it feels emotionally fraught, um, despite the fact that if you try and point to what those signifiers are that make it super important to you, it's 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 kind of amorphous, you know. It's very it's um. It's 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 either ridiculously subtle or it's 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 all but an optical illusion. So I don't know. So all of which is to say, on the one hand, yeah, this volume is fine. And like you said, there's a familiarity that breeds contempt. I think the thing that is hard is to me is that it I would say that Wagner has moved so far into the realm of what's interesting and could well be considered electrifying about this work is it's entirely happening 
at the level of craft and at the level of investment in craft and continues to exist as a stunning type wire act at the level of craft and yet it doesn't beyond that it has you kind of get that thing of like yeah there's it's not saying anything new it's not really saying anything at all except at that level so mm-hmm you know, so which is which is sort of like it's not damning with faint praise; it's actually damning with high praise, I guess. You know, um, and yeah, and yet still damning. Oh, but still damning. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So, um, and that's all I'm going to say about it. I mean, that may be all I have to say about the volume, frankly. <laughs> no, I, I mean, honestly, that that I feel that's enough or, or I, th- yeah, I, think I think so too I yeah talk through the volume a lot it's, it's a strange thing where i'm still enjoying reading these books yes. you know i'm still enjoying for the most part the individual stories of these books yeah. but the, the longer we do this and the more that dread settles into a style right the harder it is to find something new to say yeah you know it's it's a really strange thing where these books aren't getting any worse. No. You know, like, compare this to, to, you know, this is what, volume 33? Like, compare this to volume 23. Right. You know? And I would say this is arguably better. Right. But I I feel that for us, you know, it's, it's this weird thing where part of me really wants to catch up. Right. You know, and be like, oh, yeah. like, 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 but part of me is also like, at what point is it not worth anyone listening to us? No, I I totally <laughs> get it. Yeah, we, we struggle to find something new to say. Right, right. No, I agree. I I think I don't know, Graham. You, you this is this. I'm willing to bet that this is a me thing, not a you thing. But I take it you have not necessarily spent a lot of time sitting in front of a slot machine playing the slots, have you? That is. Very true. I have yes. not. So, so slot machines kind of have a uh, a thing to them, basically. You've got a slot machine, like you go through periods where particularly if you want to attract people to your gambling destination, you make the slots loose, which is to say they, they pay off more frequently. Um, then when... Sure. When when you have those people, you, of course, don't necessarily want to lose money. But on the other hand, you also want to keep people giving you money. So you make your slots, instead of making them loose, you make them kind of tight. But there are there are realms within that. Like it, there is a tight slot machine that more or less pays off every couple of dollars and it's usually enough to repay what you've lost up to that point the majority of it like it pays you back 80 percent. and as it starts to quote unquote get hot it pays off more often but not necessarily bigger but the other option that you can have is you can have a slot machine that is just nuts which is cold as hell and then every once in a while will just hit and hit big and those machines are also in in you know 
there's also just machines where they're tight and just drain you of money and it's not really fun um at all and they they of course don't care because they've got more than enough people and their main goal is to kind of keep you moving sort of hustling around the corridor all of which is to say i think earlier volumes of dread really kind of had that amazing thing of the wagner early wagner grant years where it was just kind of always paying off and it wasn't necessarily big rewards but like it was kind of constant and you kind of felt like wow i'm winning every story is a winner and then you kind of get to the point where things are hitting and missing but wagner's also delivering like crazy mega progs where you're just like shit i'm glad that i kept at this because this is a huge payout like i feel like a big winner you know i'm glad i invested all those hours i'm i'm interested i'm interested i'm interested even uh (laughs) So you would you would suggest that the stories have changed and it's not us as readers? Because honestly, I, for me, I was like, I wonder if we've just burned out on reading too much dread. We may have burned out on too much dread, but I also think that we're kind of at a point where, and whether it's whether it's Wagner, whether it's 2000 AD team, like whether it's all that stuff, it, you know, in terms of they ha- they're still kind of finessing their timing. It could be that they're overly dependent on Dread in a way at 2001. Certainly when you look at 2000 AD uh, through a power overload, like there's almost nothing about Dread during this particular time. Like the book, which is being written by David Bishop, one of the editors at the time who passes oh, off the reins to Andy yeah. Diggle, yeah, is more or less interested in everything else but Dread. Because 2000 AD is trying to figure out kind of how do we stay relevant? Can we stay relevant? How do we introduce new characters? Because not all characters have the life and the juice that Dread has you know and so there's there's that's sort of where all their interests are but what i would say is is that we're just in a period where um dread is paying off frequently but barely any more than we're putting into it and and so therefore it's kind of that thing of like he's like you said, like maybe we're just getting burned out. It's just that thing of like, after you spend that many hours in the chair, you realize you feel like the big jackpot is not coming and you're kind of bored. You're sort of like, I, once I can figure out a place where I've won enough of my money back. Yeah. I'm going to go back to the room and take a bath, you know? And that, and that's as opposed to taking a bath at the tables. Hey, um, but I, I just, I kind of feel (laughs) like that, that is the experience right now that we're having dread. And maybe there will be a point where Wagner is going to feel where, and this is the thing that's ironic is I feel the weird part is we're the only ones. We're not the ones who are gambling. It, it, we are to the extent that it's only our time. Wagner is the dude who is kind of the guy who is going to decide when he wants to actually put some big chips on the table or so I think, or the other half of it is again, I think that Wagner is, is totally the type of guy where he's like, 
I'm very satisfied with Alien Wedding because that was a super satisfying first page to write and Kem Kennedy did some terrific art, you know? And 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 that's kind of that weird area where you hear pros talk about the stuff that they like and you're like, "Really? That's that's the one that worked for you." Yeah, huh? that that was your thing? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, um, I don't know, I'm just it's, it's I find it a very strange experience. Uh, not reading the shit right now, but but it's a very strange experience for me doing drug because mm-hmm. I feel like we're floundering in order to say something different. Right. No, it's true. Um, like you said, yeah, no, it is hard, and it's and it's the third volume in a row where I feel like you said where we're kind of like it's fine, you know, and that's even coming after a point where thank. God, we took time away because I was burnt out and doing a little bit of strontium dog and coming back, put a little bit of of uh, uh, gas back in my tank. So, but yeah, I mean, it is it is fair. Like, it's amazing how much we have been doing Drock now for three years. Three years. Three mm-hmm. years continuously. And that is... um. I mean, if it makes you feel better, I'm sure you remember it was long before this equivalent point in Baxter building where we were just bitching through every episode, you know, so. <laughs> but, uh, in a weird way, that at least gave us something to talk about. Well, totally, totally. You know? I, yeah. I, I, and honestly, the changing creative teams gave us something to talk about. How, sure. do, how do these writers and artists deal with these characters that we feel like we know? Right mm-hmm. when Wagner was continuously doing it, we're like, "It's another good Wagner story." Or did this Wagner story didn't do it for us? But you know what you get with Wagner: good quality. Right, exactly. No, exactly. And that is that is the problem. Is is in a, in a way we are victims of of what has become a very high level of dependability. Uh-huh. Yeah, of craft, but it is also kind of deeply, in a way, unexciting. I would not trade it for going back to those early Garth Ennis years where... And and honestly, with all due respect to Ennis, it's the art that I remember that just makes me feel like I'm going to be punched in the gut again, you know? Like, you oh, say God. that, but, like, Iskara drew a lot of them and they were still bad stories. Oh, that is true. That You're absolutely right. You're absolutely right because I don't remember those. <laughs> I just, I just remember all the other. <laughs> um, I remember stuff that made the goddamn Suku story just look like just another Judge Dread story in the collection, not one of the worst executed Dread stories I've ever seen. On, on the plus question mark side, Rennie and Morrison have shown up with this volume, and yeah. they're going to continue to be pretty big factors. Yeah, uh, in dread, you know, for the next decade or so. And as you point out, like my top stories for the volume are are Morrison's, which is uh, shocking to me. I got to say, so you um, know, so I, you know, I'm I'm curious to see how you feel they play out, but also like I'm curious for myself to see how I feel they play out. Right. You know, reading within the, in the context that we're now reading, as in we've read all this other shit up, shit up until this point, you know? Right. Yeah. No. Exactly. Um, yeah. It, it's so. Hopefully that will. Hopefully that will add some more. Also, in a couple of uh, episodes, we also have the 
John Wagner and Andy Diggle written a Henry Flint drawn Judge Red Aliens crossover, which is great. Hmm. That sounds great. Or uh, I mean, sounds great with an asterisk, which is to say, I'm no, a little. I've, I, it's great. Yeah, I'll take your word for it. I'll take your word for it. I look forward to it. I mean, yeah. Well, okay. Uh, Drunk or Dross, Jeff? That's a tough call. That is a really tough call, Graham. I have to say this is probably the most genuinely lukewarm Drock I can I can put forward. I can see that. I mean, I'm going to say Drock, but I can also see... Well, it depends what you're looking for, right? I think for people who want right. more of the, the big epics, mm-hmm. I can see this being Dross, because it is for the most part, entirely devoid of, like, the larger story of Mega City 1. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know? Mm-hmm. It, 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 is, it is firmly in the, let's try and do a bunch of short stories of, of yeah. greater or lesser extent. Well, uh, yeah. I mean, the longest things are what? Chief Judge is buying a lock on, right? And that's, and that is okay. So, yeah. A incredibly tepid drock. But I would say Drock. I can totally understand why someone might be like, eh, Dross. I get it. It's not a very far... You can you can easily hop from one to the other. Um, but but yeah, I'm at the risk of, of making myself seem a fool. Graham, I'm going to say Drock. And you also are half-hearted Drockville, or... Did you yeah, say no, us? no, I am, I am a half-hearted drug bill. I just felt that if I just didn't say anything, you were going to get more and more defensive about it. <laughs> well, you're wrong, Graham, and here's 15 minutes as to why. Uh, yeah. uh, there's going to be show notes for this episode up on Monday at waywellpodcast.com. <laughs> uh, we have a Twitter account at waywellpodcast. Jeff has a Twitter account at lazybastard at L-A-Z-Y-B-A-S-T-I-D. I have a Twitter account at Graham M G R A E M E M, And we are a patron supported podcast, which means Jeff's going to start talking right now. Listeners, you're great. You're especially great if you put up with us uh, for this long. And by this long, I literally mean 30 plus episodes of Drock. I mean 50 and an extra episodes of Baxter Building, our read-through of the first 416 issues of Fantastic Four. And I'm talking about over 330 episodes of wait what our regular podcast those are a lot of numbers if you add them up those numbers are high if you think about how many hours go behind each episode it starts to seem a little disquieting in fact but you it does start to make you think that maybe you guys need to be doing something else with your time just (laughs) don't say that don't say that i mean i can see why i can see why you think that graham and frankly part of me is like yeah, I mean, let's put it this way. The great thing about listening to podcasts is chances are good you are doing other things while doing this. And thanks to us blabbing at you, you're able to... I was going to come up with some gruesome job that is incredibly tedious and painful that, you know... I, honestly, I, rem- I remember one job that I had, Graham, as a temp, where we had to seal something like... 37,000 envelopes and for some big mass mailing they hired us in as temps and it was supposed to be a a one day job maybe even two days they hired three of us and like an idiot Graham I, I, 
I thought that instead of using that little um, dampener applicator to the back of each envelope, I would just I would just lick them because I didn't trust myself to work that thing, and I was afraid it would make things too damp. And and Graham, let me tell you, your saliva runs out so incredibly quick when you have thirty seven thousand envelopes that you think that you are going to lick. And I feel somehow that that Stick is a yourself. metaphor for this podcast. Yeah, yeah, you're like, wow, you know what I'm saying, ladies? Uh, yeah, for Jeff, it was about <laughs> three and a half envelopes, uh, and I learned my lesson, and I've never gone back since. But um, yeah, so as opposed to Graham, Graham McMoison, um, and uh, so, <laughs> oh, Jesus, <laughs> but my point, which I think I will get to eventually is, is that we are so grateful for you guys for continuing to listen to us, support us, encourage us, um, even with your ears uh, dropping us notes on Twitter and what have you, and the fine people at Patreon. Oh my God, you guys, you actually throw us a little bit of your hard-earned dosh. And as a result of which, you would not have Drock. You would not have Baxter Building. We would not have this experience. Um, and we are, in some ways, I think, grateful for it. Like, there's points right now where maybe it's a little hard, but unlike Graham, I never would have read the material that I read that has been electrifying up till now. And that is incredibly great and incredibly due entirely to you. So thank you. Also huge thanks to Empress Audrey, queen of the galaxy for her continuing support of the podcast of the cosmos. That's important. We thank you, Graham. I'm now thinking so much about the fact that we have to do an episode where we just talk about like shitty temp jobs. (laughs) You're absolutely right. We should, because I've got them. I've got them, and it sounds like you have them too, which is exciting. Yeah, so, right? you know, wait, what? We've got a wait, what coming up, and I bet Chloe's had some shit temp jobs. So, yeah, maybe we should uh, we should, we should, should do that while talking about comics. Comics. Literature's oh, yeah, yeah. shit so, temp jobs. Yeah, everyone. Um, we're, we're, it's a regular wait, what next week? Hey! Yeah. Uh, and current plans is that Chloe's going to show up for that one because it's been a while fingers since crossed, she's been Fingers crossed! Yes, so... Uh, but, but honestly, if, if, if everything keeps going the way that it's been going lately, who the fuck knows? <laughs> it's been a weird... It's, I think it's fair to say that, like, it's been a weird few months. At, at least. At least. Uh, I mean, one could argue that we are well into the weird decade. So... Um, so yes, join us next week uh, for Wait What? Otherwise, it's a month for the next Drock. And until then, we should say, Drock, you're under arrest, citizen. Report to the Isocubes for 30 <laughs>